Today on Your Money, Your Wealth Podcast number 352, Joe and Big Al are answering your retirement investing questions. Can your portfolio be over-diversified? How do dividends and net unrealized appreciation, or NUA, work? How will ownership inequality in the stock market impact future returns for most investors? And what do the fellas think of target date funds? Plus, partway through this episode, we start something completely new and exciting. The YMYW podcast is now on video. Don't just listen, now you can watch Joe and Big Al answer your questions on investing extra cash in annuities or bonds, long-term treasuries, figuring out your risk tolerance, and the buckets of money investing strategy. Oh boy, I better get my makeup on straight. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes, see the new video clips, subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, and to ask Joe and Big Al on air. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Uh, we got Wyatt. Writes in from North Dakota. I like that name, Wyatt. Wyatt Earp. Yep. I wonder how many times he hears that. <laughs> Daily. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi, Andy. Big Alan Joe. I'm a big fan of your podcast and look forward to new episodes each week. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, I have a question that I haven't heard covered in your previous shows. Uh, is there a point where you become too diversified in your portfolio? So over-diversification. Yeah, okay. it's worried about. All right. 27 years old from the frozen tundra up in Fargo, North Dakota. My brother-in-law is from Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Our new hire, Dominic Knaff is from Fargo. Yeah. That's there you go. Just keep it, you know, in the Midwest. Right. I drive a 2004 Chevy Silverado. Of course you do. And prefer bourbon and an old fashioned, uh, but can never turn down a cold bush latte. Latte. There you go. Look at bush light. Right. My question revolves around being too diversified in my portfolios um, while I'm still at a younger age. I feel like I'm growing, um, going against the adage of concentration creates wealth, diversification preserves it. Uh, my portfolio breakdown is as follows. I'm 100%. Um, my allocation is 100% in equities. Uh, you can disclose these amounts on your show if you want. Okay. He's got a 401k of about $50,000 and he has... Uh, S&P 500, 2060 target date fund, large cap growth fund, small cap index fund, total international fund. He's got a Roth IRA, same thing, large cap, got a couple bucks in individual stocks and small cap, then large cap, international. Um, Then he's got a uh, bridge account, non-qualified brokerage. It's called a bridge account, I guess. Yeah. Um, So again, he's fully diversified. He's got probably what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight positions on a forty-five hundred dollar account. That might be a bit much. It could be. Um, to try to keep track of all that. Um, and then he's got uh, another brokerage account, and he's got a couple of funds there. I know there's a lot of information um, within this question, but would really appreciate your thoughts on this topic. Looking forward to future episodes as always. All the best, Wyatt from Fargo. Cool. Thanks, Wyatt. Okay, over diversification. So he does have a point. The, the, the best investment in the world is an individual stock. Yeah. But that was an investment right, you make in yourself. Or it, it well, could be that too. That too. But besides that, besides that, it, the, the best investment, and we'll say this, I'll say it again the best investment you could ever make is in an individual stock if you pick the right stock. Right. That's the hard part. Right. 
Um, because that's concentration. Or an investment you make in yourself and you build a, a very successful business. You can do and that. And then you sell it. Yeah, that, that right? works too. But those are highly concentrated. Yeah. And, and in many cases that fails because you are concentrated, but see, that's the thing about concentration of, of your assets. If they do well, you make a lot or you could lose it all. You know, it just, it just depends if you pick the right one. Right. Um, it, do I feel that Wyatt is overly diversifying? I think um, overly diversified is probably not the right answer, but I think it's over um, many, over the top. Too many funds. <laughs> a lot of funds. Well, I think there's a lot of overlap here. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's yeah. not over diversified. There's overlap. Right. I think that the idea of 100% allocation towards equities at age 27, I'm all for that. Yep. As long as you understand it's going to go down, it's going to go up, but over the long term, you're going to do better having all stocks. So I like that. I think, I think, Wyatt, you have more different funds than you need, but the fact that you, you, you're hitting on all the major asset classes, as long as these are low-cost index-type funds or ETFs, I'm assuming they are because you have asset classes, but I don't know that for sure. You want to double-check that. But yeah, you're, you're on the right track. And concentration, here, here's how I think about concentration. Instead of trying to pick the next Google, which is almost impossible, concentration happens when you buy a property or when you start a business or you're working in a successful business and you get stock options. To me, that's where concentration really works well. To try to find the, the next gold mine stock is almost impossible. Right. Isn't this also where asset location would come in? He's he's kind of equally diversified across both his 401k and his Roth IRA and his brokerage. Wouldn't it make more sense to have his more volatile assets in the Roth IRA? It could, because, but he's 27. So it's it does. And, I mean, and, as you get older and you need the money from the portfolio, then that's when we would probably look at asset location a little bit. But he's 100 percent stocks. Yeah. So, as, it's, as so there's more aggressive. bonds in the portfolio, then you would probably you know look at that. But you're right, Andy. He, if this was me. I would have three funds. Yeah, me too. I would have a total U.S. stock market fund. Yes. I would have a total international stock market fund. And I would have like a small cap value fund if I wanted to stay 100% equities. Yeah. And I I might add a fourth one, emerging markets. Emerging markets. Just a little bit. Yep. And then if if I didn't want to be 100% equities, then I might have 10% bonds or 20% or whatever, just to try to temper the down, you know, downturns because you, your overlap city here, because you got S and P, you got the S and P 500 index fund, and then you got a large cap growth fund. If you look at the large cap growth fund and you look at the S and P 500 index fund, I would imagine most of the stocks that are in the large cap growth fund are in the S and P 500. It's almost the same. Now there's a target date fund, which actually will have some fixed income, but you, not, not very much, but some, but the target date funds only, you should only use one fund. If you have a target date fund, that's the, that's the fund. You yeah. pick that. You don't, you select don't, any other fund. It's not a diversification is what you're saying, because that's, that's the fund is diversified itself. Right. Right. Agreed. So, <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I would get rid of that one, but, but yeah, you could, you could do this in three or four or five different funds and, and call it good. But people then going back to the target date funds, people will go like, Hey, I got a 2060 fund. I got a 2040 fund and I got right. a 2070 fund. I'm diversified. I'm like, no, it's not diversification. You don't know what the hell you're doing. That means you're retiring at three times. <laughs> don't I you might, just want to retire once? I might retire 2025, it might be 2035, might be 2045. No, that's not a diverse. If you want to retire in 2060, then 100%, if you want to use a target date fund, then 100% of your assets. 
go into the 2060 target date fund. Yeah. You know, the way I think of target date funds is that's what you do when you don't know what you're doing. Right. Right. You, you just pick a, I want to retire in 2060. Boom. I put all my assets in there. Perfect. And then so, the, someone else figures it out. Yeah. They, they, they work fine. Yeah. Uh, but once you start creating a little bit more wealth and if you want to add a little bit of sophistication where they don't work out great is when you, when you start needing to create the income from the portfolio. Um, because you might want to sell certain funds that are up or down, yeah, tax loss, harvest, manage it, and things. Especially if you have money outside of retirement accounts. Right. So, uh, but I think for our friend Wyatt, um, yeah, I, I, there's nothing truly wrong with what you're doing. It's just a ton of overlap, um, and it's kind of overkill. Um, especially, you know, in a fourth, like this bridge account. I yeah. don't know what a bridge account is in his definition. I know it's a non-qualified brokerage account, sure. but it sounds like almost like an emergency fund. Right. That should be cash or money market. Right. You shouldn't have individual stocks in a bridge account. Right. If that's, yeah, that's what it is. I don't know. What would you call it? A bridge account? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm thinking, like I said, there's like eight positions in this $4,500 account. So that means each position is, is what? A couple bucks. Three, yeah. Three, two, 300 bucks. He's a, yeah. He's got individual stocks too. What? Oh yeah. At 12%. So I don't know how many right. stocks he's got. What's 12% of four grand? <laughs> <laughs> he might have some penny stocks. I might, maybe, maybe that's his concentration. Good. Might hit one of those might hit. So, all right. Hopefully that helps, but thanks for your email. Sally from Waukesha. Okay. Sally has emailed us before. Yes. Waukesha. Yeah. Well, we can't forget Waukesha. Love Tito's and tonic. I thought that said love tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's me. Yeah. Uh, Love Tito's and tonic and spot a cow. Love spot a cow. And like to use percentages as you found from my prior question. Okay. I listened to podcasts faithfully, either walking the dog or while trying to fall asleep. (laughs) Our first honest listener after all these years, I use this to fall asleep. (laughs) Actually, I've been having trouble sleeping lately. I'm going to try it. Yeah. I fall asleep on my own show. What's it? um, Yeah. Instead of a sleeping pill. Yeah. Throw this garbage on put put this on see if it works <laughs> um i'm currently 50 and hope to retire at 55 when i'll use my tax deferred to live i'm trying to tie employee savings accounts that are highly significant amount in target date funds to an overall allocation for all my other accounts hsa package brokerage cash what do you think about target date funds um you have to dive deep to get the overall allocation by large mid small bonds growth value i'm trying to optimize and get to that level of detail i assume it changes if there is a glide path as i approach the date so not sure how often i have to update the percentage if i want to get out of it now do you suggest i move it all to a brokerage link option in my plan and use ETFs to get my desired allocation as I do for my taxable brokerage um, or to uh, the other fund options besides 13 target date funds, diversified fund, um, small cap, mid cap, uh, S&P 500, so on. Thanks for the spitball. Okay. So Sally from Waukesha, yeah, uh, she has all of her money in a target date fund. She wants to retire in five years. Uh, that's in her 401k account. Should she take it out of the target date fund and create her own allocation? Al, what do you think? 
Well, we don't really know, uh, Sally, how much you have in a brokerage account, but the target date funds are, they're actually a fine vehicle uh, when you don't really know how to do this. I mean, because because the allocation keeps getting more conservative as you get closer to retirement. I kind of like that, right? But when you have a lot of other assets and, you're, and you don't fit into the, the so-called norm of people retiring, which no one does because it's just an average of what people need for retiring. Maybe your needs, Sally, are completely different than an average retiree and your investment should be very different. That, that's where if you have a little bit more sophistication, like maybe you're doing in your brokerage account, um, then maybe, maybe you do go ahead and invest it. I, I, and I would probably just stay in the, in the current 401k. I mean, you could do brokerage link if you want to and get more sophisticated, but you already got, looks like many of these options in your current account. I'd probably just do that for the next five years. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sally's sophisticated. She's already going into small cap, mid cap, <laughs> you know, gro- growth and value. Yeah, right, right. She's trying to get deep and understanding the glide path. Yeah. yeah. Of a, if, if you know the term glide path, you should not be in a target date fund, period. <laughs> well, you might have heard it, but not know exactly. No, no one knows what the hell what glide path. It's, um, it's a safe landing to retirement. <laughs> right. Um, I would, you know, depend on if it's $100,000, stay in it. Don't worry about it. But if, if it's a little bit more where you want to have more, more control, more control, um, I would definitely get out of it and, and create more your, your own portfolio, Barry. Um, similar as you did to the brokerage account. Yeah, it's something that fits you better. Yes, uh, but you, you also want to look at asset location too, Sally. Um, so if if you remember, if you've listened to the show, is that you want to keep um, asset class, classes in your brokerage account that have a higher expected rate of return just because of the tax treatment of those accounts. They're taxed at capital gains, plus you can tax loss um, harvest those accounts. Um, you want to keep your more conservative investments in your retirement account. Um, of course, it depends on what your mix is of stocks versus bonds, and it also depends on how much money you have in qualified versus non. Um, but I, I, I think I would much rather control my allocation versus a target date fund, um, especially as you're five years from retirement. Yeah, I, I would too. The reason why I like target date funds is when you really don't have the knowledge, but it seems like Sally does. So I, I like that. Find out exactly how your retirement portfolio should be invested by scheduling a free financial assessment with a certified financial planner professional on Joan Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors. They'll take a close look at not only your current financial situation, but also your ability to tolerate risk, your specific retirement needs and goals, your tax liability, and many other factors. They'll help you develop a comprehensive financial plan to reduce your taxes and make the most of your retirement. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and click get an assessment to schedule a no cost, no obligation financial assessment at time and date convenient for you. Dear Joe and Al, the charts in this post beg a number of questions as it relates to the government's 10-year rule. It would seem that very large withdrawals from the market for inheritors of the top percent will negatively impact future returns for the remaining 90% in the market. Any insights on the future impact with larger than previous seen withdrawals? Thanks, Carmen. All right. So Carmen, she sends us an article um, that Al and I, we skimmed (laughs) with Andy Self. (laughs) 
And it's, the article is called Ownership Inequality in the Stock Market. Uh, it was written by Ben Carlson in 2021. Okay. And so uh, uh, Ben is, um, Andy, give us kind of a lowdown of the article since you read it. <laughs> uh, at the top of it, they talk about the difference in uh, assets held by wealth percentile of U.S. households, uh, talking specifically about the housing market where the top 10% owns 45% of the housing market, the bottom uh, 90% owns 55% of the real estate in this country. And then it goes on to ownership of financial assets in the United States, and it shows a similar amount of um, wealth inequality. Okay. So the top 1% owns a lot and everyone else owns a little. Yeah. So I think the, the article basically is, is saying, I think, from skimming it with you, Joe, I think what it's saying is that when all these, when the, when the wealthiest people pass away, their heirs are going to inherit all this money. They're going to spend it. There's going to be lots of withdrawals from the stock market. It's going to cause a reduction in the stock. It's going to blow up the price. Yeah. Right. And, and there was an argument here with the baby boomers, right? When sure. you got the, the, remember that this quote, the 10,000 baby boomers yeah. are retiring every day. I've, I've heard that. <laughs> How many times I've even see? said that. <laughs> so 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every day for the next like 50 years. So listen up. <laughs> the, the tsunami is coming. <laughs> <laughs> the market is going to blow up because all these baby boomers are retiring and they're taking money from their portfolio and they're, you know, as they sell <laughs> stocks, it's going to reduce prices and it's going to be a calamity. Yeah. We've heard this for decades. What did your boy, um, um, Dent, Harry, Harry, oh, Harry, Harry, Dent. Yeah, yeah. Harry Dent. I got to see him live. Yeah. The age wave. I watched him blow up. <laughs> <laughs> Although he doesn't think he did. <laughs> Killed it. We got advisors like that. Right. Um, True. <laughs> so, so you look at um, so I don't know. Let's say if 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 they inherit the money, is 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 the assumption that the inheritors are well, not gonna they, save it, they're just gonna they're spend gonna it? spend it all. But if all of that money goes into the economy, what's gonna happen to the market? It's gonna, gonna blow up <laughs> and gonna, do, do well. It's gonna do all right. Plus, I mean, there's no I, I mean, you're talking about the wealthiest people. There's no way to spend that much. I mean, what are you gonna buy a house every minute? Yeah, right. Let's see. I, I want to buy a house in La Jolla <laughs> for twenty thousand right now. Oop. Now I want one in Rancho Santa Fe for sixteen million. Yeah. Right. Whatever. It's so it doesn't, uh, yeah, you can't spend. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. If it's spent, it goes back into the economy. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I would not. Th that's, that's our opinion, Carmen. But yeah. Uh, we could I mean, be we're, dead wrong. We're, yeah. We are not economists. This is not <laughs> any kind of prediction whatsoever. Uh, yeah. We're, but, we're, but here, here's why I, I feel confident in my opinion is we've heard this before for decades and it's never come true. But this time is different. Now. But yeah, I know this, this time, time is different, different. Right. Right. We got way. He writes in from California. Hi, all. I have two questions. Was hoping you could assist with. Oh, we're here to assist. Yeah. Anytime. My first question is regarding people who talk about living off of dividends in retirement. I, re I agree with you that receiving or creating your own synthetic dividend is essentially the same. My thought is that people in the accumulation phase should most always reinvest dividends, capital gains, etc. But what about those spending from their taxable accounts? If I'm paid a dividend, then I reinvest it. Um, okay. And then later I sell shares for living expenses. Would I be in a worse after-tax position if uh, then if I just paid the dividends uh, or just put the dividends into cash? In other words, I paid tax on the dividend that I reinvested and then also 
paid cap gains on the shares I sold. Assuming you didn't specify selling the shares that you purchased by reinvestment dividend itself. How do you guys structure this when people are living off their taxable dollars? Do you always pay dividends to cash in retirement? Okay. That's a very interesting question. It is. Because dividends are taxed at a capital gains rate. However, let's say if you had capital losses, the dividend still is taxed at capital gains. It doesn't really offset. Correct. So that's why Alan and I talk about a synthetic dividend. And what that means is that you're just selling a share, right? Let's say you have a a, a stock of $10 and it gives you a dollar dividend, right? Your stock price goes down to $9. People are going to bitch about this, aren't they? Oh my God. It's been a while since we talked about dividends and stock prices. My stock doesn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, probably probably because the stock went up that day, the the dividend came up. Right. Who knows? Right. There's, there's other factors. <laughs> there's, if we just look at this in a vacuum, you got $10, $1 dividend, you receive a dollar, right? You pay tax on that dollar and then you reinvest it. And now you're back to 10 bucks. Right. Right. Um, or less if you paid the tax with the dividend, but let's say you had outside money. <laughs> and you didn't necessarily need the money, right? You didn't need the income. So you have another investment that doesn't pay a dividend and it's worth $10 a share. So you don't pay tax that year because there was no dividend. So we'd like to create a synthetic dividend. And what that means is that let's say a stock doesn't pay a dividend or a mutual fund or investment doesn't pay a dividend. You just sell a dollar of it to get your dollar. Then you pay tax whenever you create your own income. Right. Right. So what he's asking us is that do we then, if a dividend is paid out with a stock, do we reinvest it or do we go into cash? It, it depends. Depends on the goal of the client. Yeah. But I, I want to add one point, Wade, and that, and I think you're missing this, is when you have a dividend and reinvest it, that increases your basis. basis in the stock. So in other words, you, you spend $5 for a stock and it's worth $10. If you sold it, you'd had a $5 gain, right? Then, then all of a sudden you get a, you get a dividend for a dollar and you pay tax on it and you reinvest it now it's as if you spent $6 for that. You sell it for 10. Now you have a $4 capital gain because you paid a dollar of dividend, which is at the capital gain rates. It actually works out same, same, same. So um, if someone was trying to create income, you know, it's not like going to cash and keeping it into cash. No, you would always yeah. want to reinvest that. But I, I it, think I think that's what he was missing. He was thinking, well, if I, I'm already paying tax on and it. And then I'm going to get double taxed. I get double tax. And that's not true because your, your tax basis keeps increasing when you ha- pay tax on dividends that you reinvest. Okay. It, it's kind of, it's like you took the dividend and you bought more stock. That's, that's why your cost basis increases. It's called reinvesting. Correct. Or buy more <laughs> stock. You can do that too. <laughs> uh, my second question is about anyway. Uh, the situation is I know someone who has 16K, he knows someone. It's his, what, it's his brother. Yeah. My, I, my, my I, neighbor. I, I might know someone. <laughs> I might know someone <laughs> that has $16,000 in basis in employer stock in an ESOP with a current market value of $2 million. Uh, some people, uh, to some people, this may seem like a no-brainer NUA scenario, uh, but this person um, <laughs> has nearly 100% of his assets in this stock. It could benefit greatly from diversification in an IRA. 
maybe it would be best to do a partial NUA with $300,000 of this. So there are assets outside of retirement accounts for emergencies and diversification with the rest of the IRA. How do you think about NUA scenarios in if there is ever a time that you would recommend people take advantage of it? I know some that say it's never worth it and others say do it when there's low bases. What are your thoughts? Okay, NUA, net unrealized appreciation. What that means is that in this scenario, um, individual has a company stock inside their retirement account. The balance of the company stock is $2 million. The cost basis is $16 So, uh, or $16,000. Yeah, about the same. So if you sell inside the retirement account, there is no tax. So you could sell the stock, diversify, get stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whatever that you want, um, instead of getting out of that concentrated position. So- that and it pays zero tax, but you're going to be taxed at ordinary income rates of every dollar that comes out of the IRA. All right. Great. Another strategy is net unrealized appreciation, where you take the stock out of the retirement account. So you get it out of the shell of the retirement account. You pay ordinary income tax on the basis. The basis in this scenario is $16,000. So you pay ordinary income tax on $16,000. Now you have $2 million sitting in a brokerage account that's going to be subject to capital gains rate. However, if this individual diversifies, he's going to have to pay capital gains rates to diversify versus if he keeps it in the IRA, there is no tax to diversify. The question is, I want to diversify. Do I diversify in the retirement account or do I do NUA and then diversify out there? Right. Yeah. And, and for me, the answer is, is I, I usually like to do a partial because it, it depends how old you are. Like, let's say he's 10 years away from retirement. I, I would be diversifying some of the IRA right now just for diversification. I'd be taking the rest out if I could on an NUA and then, and then sell as I could with my tax bracket. So it's, it's not all or nothing. And usually when you kind of look at this carefully, there will be a, a, a scenario that makes sense for you. But yeah, I, I do like NUAs, but not necessarily the whole thing. I would do 100% of this thing all day, every day. And I would diversify out of it, but I would also put like a, a costless collar on the uh, on the position to protect myself from the downside. So you can still diversify out, take advantage of the capital gain rates. You know, this $2 million, $3 million or whatever. Yeah, we don't know how old this individual is. And it's like this guy's buddy down the street. Right. You know, I know someone. Well, and the other thing is that anyway may not be available depending upon his age or her age, right? And so then you might want to diversify some in the IRA because you can't do it. Or it's you have to diversify within the company plan. Sure. Um, because anyway, it doesn't work in an IRA. So right. visit the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download free investing resources that'll help you on your way to a more successful retirement. Our guide to pursuing a better investment experience will help you to effectively target long-term wealth in the capital markets. Eight timeless principles of investing will show you how to avoid poor investment decisions, how to protect yourself from risk, and how to grow your investments even in volatile markets. Then there's the guide to why asset location matters. It'll clue you in on how considering the tax treatment and future expected returns of each asset class may help you to enhance those returns. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to go download all three guides all for free. Now let's move into the TV studio and get ready for lights, camera, action. You can watch all of the rest of the questions from today's episode in the podcast show notes too. Uh, we're taping the show in the TV studio. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's hot. 
You say that I about been, using my studio too, so apparently it's no different. I, I have been cold the last couple of weeks, so I appreciate the heat. It's like these lights are just super annoying. Your idea, Joe. <laughs> it, no, it was not my idea. It was Aaron's, our TV oh, okay. producer. I, I was begging him to, to come in the studio, you, you put were, makeup on me you, and sit in this room. You love the lights and the makeup. <laughs> are you wearing makeup, go. really? No, no. Makeup. <laughs> okay. We we do for the TV show though. Yeah. Uh, gotta cover up big gals, Hawaiian <laughs> tan. Uh, well, it, it helps the imperfections. Got it. You, right? you don't have you don't have much. I'll tell you that. But neither do you. It's, it's very light touch. It's, it's just a very light touch up. Right. Ted from San Diego. Uh, Ted writes in. Hey, I'm 60 and I'm getting two hundred fifty thousand dollars cash from my recent divorce. Don't know what to do with it. Okay, I have $1.3 million in 401ks in IRA, $750,000 in stocks. I have a military retirement. I max out my 401k contributions. I anticipate working another 68 years, not looking for big risk, but I'm wondering about annuities or bonds. Maybe a mix of aggressive and safe. Uh, Ted, 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 Ted. Okay. And that was six to eight years that he's going to be working, not 68, which is what it sounded like you said. I concur. It did sound like 68. Six. <laughs> I'm going to work until I'm 118. <laughs> Anticipate working another six to eight. Yeah. There you go. I, I, had, I had one time when I had a tax practice when, when, when it was a question about what a certain complex tax return would charge. And I said, four to 5,000. And he thought I said 45,000. I said, wow, that's a little... Pricey. A little pricey. Uh, yeah, but I worth it. <laughs> a little rich there, uh, Al. All right. So th- this is a really good question um, because here's what the problem is with Ted's, um, I guess, thought process. Nothing against you, Ted. Is that he's, um, what's the word when you car, um, you, he, he's looking at his investments in different compartments. Yeah, yeah, in a bubble or whatever. Whatever, whatever you want to say. Right. So it, let, let's say his one point three million dollars in his TSP or four hundred and one k plan is a sixty forty portfolio, and then he's got his brokerage account of seven hundred fifty, and then all of a sudden he gets another two hundred. He's like, now what do I do with this? I don't know how to invest it. I'm like, well, you're already investing. You know what I mean? What is the overall strategy of the wealth that you currently have? Uh, of all the money. Of not, all the not money, just this one component. And and Ted, you're you're about sixty percent in stocks. Maybe that's the right answer for you. Maybe not. But if it is, then do the same with this two hundred fifty thousand. Or maybe sixty percent stocks is too much because you have a military retirement, and I don't know what your spending is or how much you need from the portfolio. Maybe you don't need to take as much risk. On the other hand, maybe your military retirement is very good. You don't need to take a lot from your portfolio, but you you want to grow this for whatever for kids for charity. Or just in case. Right. And, and I think this is a problem with, with people that don't necessarily have a, a financial strategy, right? Here is my financial strategy. Here's the wealth that I have. Here are my goals. And how am I going to fund the goals is with these assets. So your, your goals could be retirement income. It could be passing wealth to the next generation. It could be paying off debt. It could be paying for kids' college. It could be a, a number of things. So writing down the goals is the kind of the first step and then creating a strategy on how you want to accomplish it. So any dollar that comes into the household, you already know where to place it. Sure. It's the same. It's the same, right? Because here's the goals. This is the, the here's the portfolio that needs to generate, you know, X return for me to accomplish the goals that I've set out. 
with, with one exception, Joe, and, and that is if you get a big lump sum, then maybe you don't need to take as much risk if your goals well, didn't change. Yeah, then you change your entire strategy. Right. So with that big, let's say instead of 250, he got 2 million. Right. And now what do I do with it? Well, then you look at your entire wealth again and saying, well, what is the risk tolerance or, or, or target return that yeah. I need? What, and yeah. then you change your time. Do I want to increase my spending? And if you do, great. Then your portfolio should reflect that. Or if I don't want to increase my spending, then you should have less risk. Right. It's, you know, we get a question. Well, I, I have 50,000. What do I do with that? I got a hundred thousand. Well, well, what are you doing with your other assets? Are you investing that? Well, I don't want to take on that much risk. Well, why are you taking on that much risk in the first place? Right. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense, right? So you, you just want to look at things um, in its entirety, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All right. Next. So this is a podcast question. Yeah, we've got a few questions still that remain from the uh, podcast server that we did back in August. And why do we want to answer every single one of these questions, I guess? You don't think they're good questions? I mean, if someone gives us a question, we have to answer it. It's our commitment. It's, it's like Andy just puts, you know, when was the last time, you know, you went to the bathroom? Well, we got to read it on the oh, air. Oh, come on now. These are questions about <laughs> investing and withdrawal strategies and all that sort of thing. I mean, it's all relevant stuff. I got it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, but we don't have a name. No. And we don't know what kind of car they drive or, <laughs> they yeah. or what their pet is. Um, all right. During retirement, is long-term treasuries the best way to act? Um, is ballast to the is long-term portion? treasuries the best way to act as ballast to the equity portion of your portfolio, given its lower correlation to other bond sub-asset classes? But See, this said, is a terrible question. I can't even read it. It says, but it said is ballast. So you actually read it as it was written. Yes, that's what I do. <laughs> Pretty good at that, right? Um, first of all ballast so that sounds like a brian perry word yeah so that that's just to, to eliminate some of the volatility yes i understand okay just making sure yeah thank you i'm, <laughs> I'm totally lying right now <laughs> so i i would answer the question uh this way long-term treasuries are are sensitive to interest rates going up more than short-term and since interest rates are at all-time lows, and perhaps over the next few years, two years, five years, 10 years, they'll probably go up. So your long-term treasuries would actually essentially go down in, in value. Now, if you hold them to maturity, no problem. But uh, I would say no. I would actually say shorter-term treasuries would be a well, better, yeah, better bet. Yeah, I guess I don't know what other bond subclasses are. Is he talking corporates? Is he talking oh, high sure. yield? Is he talking? And, and I actually don't really care what class, as long as they're not junk bonds, as long as they're shorter to midterm, I think that's a better bet than long-term right now. Yeah. I mean, if you're really taking a look at safety, yeah, right. But if you want diversification, you probably want to have a little bit of all sorts of different asset classes. Oh, sure. So, yep. Yep. Okay, um, got another one of these podcast questions. Um, how does one figure out your risk capacity as you approach retirement if you have always been aggressive and have a high risk stock allocation? What do you think? 
I mean, we need to know so much more. I don't know. What's your fixed income? How much money are you spending? How old are you? When do you want to retire? What is your timeline from retirement to, you know, transitioning from a high risk portfolio to a lower risk portfolio? You want to have a portfolio based on risk capacity is one thing versus risk tolerance. And let me explain the two. Risk tolerance is these questionnaires that you get. And so, you know, I think they help a little bit, but they're so biased on how that person's feeling on any given day. Sure. You know what I mean? Because you're answering questions. What would you do if the market dropped 10%? Well, the market's up 30 and I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm going to hold on. But if the market's down 20% and you answer that same question, you're like, oh, I already lost 20. Now I'm going to be down 30. No way. I'm going to sell out. Right. Um, so that's like your risk tolerance. What, and then what advisors do with risk tolerance is they try to max out your risk tolerance. So your risk to- tolerance questionnaire gives you a score of this. So I'm going to build a portfolio. Well, that's my highest level of risk tolerance. So why are you building it around that? It doesn't make a lot of sense. During a recession, that t- tends to change. Yes. Right. Right. So risk capacity is really to determine what target rate of return that you need to accomplish your goals. And then building that portfolio around that target rate of return. And this is the capacity of risk that you probably need to take for you to accomplish your goals. Right. And can you? So, yeah. right. So you got to check that. And, so you, and- you, you check two boxes. It's like, all right, you need to get a 6% rate of return over the next 30 years to accomplish your goals. But if you're in CDs and your true risk tolerance is that I cannot take any volatility whatsoever or because I'm going to sell and I'm going to freak and I'm, uh, I'm going to lose sleep. Well, then you have to adjust your goals. Yeah, you have to lower your expenses. Yes. <laughs> now, here's, here's another thing. After you do that, then take a look at what your, your fixed income or, or what your spending is minus your fixed income. So you're spending 80000 your fixed income, Social Security, and pension is fifty. So you need 30000 from your portfolio. And we would say have at least five or 10 years of 30000 So that's 150000 to 300000 in fixed income, in safe assets. So that's another way to see, are you okay? Got it. Okay, what are the nuts and bolts of how to manage the buckets of money method? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that refers to a, another advisor's book. I yeah, can help you out with that one if you'd like. Got, got him in a little bit of trouble. It did. Yeah. Because it wasn't properly back tested. SEC didn't care for that. No, not really. No. So... But the concept is you got three buckets of money, short-term, mid-term, long-term. And the short-term is what you're going to be spending over the next three years, I think. is, is And then three to seven or nine years is mid-term. And then longer than that's long-term. And so the idea is the, the short-term bucket, you invest in safe assets, like, like short-term bonds or cash. The mid-bucket, you invest in stuff that's the more aggressive, but not super aggressive. The long-term is, is more aggressive because you got time to write out the market. Instead of a standard asset allocation, I'm saying 60% stocks, 40% bonds. The bucket of money strategy is looking at, well, what are your income needs? Just like we talked about, right? Sure. If your income need is X dollars, well, you might want to have five to 10 years of X dollars in safe money. That's the same thing as the bucket of money strategy. But the, the whole bucket strategy was, okay, your first three years should be in cash and CDs. Your midterm should be maybe uh, an annuity or a non-traded REIT. And yeah. then the final strategy would be an equity portfolio. Right. So in, in one instance, I loved um, the concept. And the, the other aspect of it, it was a really good way to sell product. Yeah, how they um, filled the second bucket was questionable sure david new york city big al 
Okay, let's hear about it. I don't know. He, he sent us an article. This article below appeared in my email inbox today. This today being 1029. This was October 29th. Got it. If this is fact, then the backdoor Roth, regular and mega, will be alive and well, at least for now. Haven't seen this reported elsewhere. Have the YMYW crew heard this? Thanks, David. Yes, David, we have heard this. Yeah, we have. And now it's different again. Again. <laughs> so on November 3rd is when they added it back in. And November 5th, they've made more changes, but it's still in there. Stay tuned. But so, so the current proposal states that the backdoor Roth and the mega backdoor Roth will be gone starting next year. So basically any after-tax contributions converted to a Roth IRA will be uh, no longer. Yeah, disallowed. So if you, if you have uh, after-tax contributions, particularly in a 401k, make sure you get that converted this year if you can. And some plans don't allow conversions if you're under 59 and a half, but some plans do, especially if they have a Roth option. Right. Um, a lot of you might have bases too in IRAs that they you know, hey, you know, I made some contributions. Then you look at their tax return on the 8606 form in the back. Yeah. You see that, you know, maybe 20,000 of it is is after tax. Right. So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for a lot of you to really take a look, um, a hard dive, you know, in your overall tax return, in your investment statements to see if you do have any after tax. If you are usually making backdoor Roth IRA contributions, um, get them in before you're in. Wyatt, Tombstone, and the Tivoli, drinking bush light in the parking lot at a funeral, and the latest TV in the derails at the end of the episode, so stick around. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click that Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule a free financial assessment video call from anywhere in the country. Chances are one of the certified financial planner professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. You ready? Yeah, right. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. Three, two, one. Welcome back to the program. Uh, show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Um, it's getting a little spicy there. Three, two, one. I said three, two, one. Start the show. But I said well, three, two, one. I didn't realize you were talking to Aaron because I can't hear him. So I didn't think that you heard me. Oh, yes. So, you know, we're spitballing this uh, podcast. We're spitballing this, this whole TV thing. Right? Yes. yes. Um, you like the being under the lights and in the studio? Not really. Studio? Well, I mean, it, it's okay. How yeah. about you? I think it's kind of fun. All right. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> just got to get the sound kind of dialed in. Like, yeah. my ears are ringing a little bit. <laughs> Play, Marin. Turn down your volume on I, your I'm, headset. I'm, I'm trying to. But, um, okay. And now you don't have a cough button anymore either. So keep that in mind. Yeah, I, I, we, I don't think I ever used We never used, used that. We just moved away from the mic. Yeah, or went out the door because no one was filming us. We could leave. <laughs> I like that name, Wyatt. In fact, I might even change my name just because of that. Tombstone is a really good movie. <laughs> Wyatt Clopine? That just sounds weird. Yeah, it does, actually. Right? I'd have to change my last name, too, if I 
was Wyatt. Yeah, I would say Tombstone is one of like top ten favorite movies. Yeah, it's a good one. Yep. Andy, any I've seen it. There? I don't remember it. Is that I'm your Huckleberry? Yes, I am your uncle. Okay, I remember that much. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. You know, have uh, you ever been to Tivoli, downtown San Diego? No. No. I have. Yeah. With your mother. Yeah. She loved that place. (laughs) The oldest bar in San Diego, White Earp. Oh, wow. Yeah, used to hang out there. Uh, Yeah, the Tivoli. Yeah. And if you do it backwards, it says, I love it. Oh, is that right? Yes. That I didn't know. All right. A little tidbit for you. Uh, So, Wyatt, anytime you're in uh, San Diego... Right. Buy a couple cocktails here at the Tivoli. Yep. Oh, I was in Minnesota. Yeah. That's that's all that these people drink. It's my family. <laughs> it's just coolers upon cool. I was at a funeral, my aunt's funeral. Yeah. Coolers. Oh, you know, back of the pickup trucks. No, coolers of no, no bartender. Just the back pick, pickup truck. It, with it's coolers. in the it's in the parking lot of a of a church. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, got some you know coolers of little bush lattes, some bush lights. Got it. Not a big Tito's and tonic guy. That's uh, vodka, right? That is vodka. Yeah. Um, and I watched this movie the other night. Yeah. Like the Russian mob. Okay. I'm doing shots of. <laughs> Let's have lunch. They're doing shots of like. You, you keep watching those movies. I'll keep watching Hallmark and we'll be both here. <laughs> so good. Um, I got a show that you would probably enjoy. I watched What's it that? with my mother when I was in Minnesota. Okay. It's um, like, what is it called? Murder in the Building or Only Murders in the Building? Something? I think it's called Only Murders in the Building. I've been seeing a lot of people on Facebook mentioning okay. how great this show is. I'll, I'll check that out. It's Martin Short. Okay. Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Okay. You know, Ted Lasso, we talked about that. I love that show. Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't watch that show. Yeah, you need to. You, even you would like that one. That's a feel-good show that even you would like, oh, yeah. I think. Got it. <laughs> well, cause I could be wrong. <laughs> there's not a lot of murders in that one. No, there's no blood. <laughs> nothing for me. All right. All right, Spot a Cow. I wish my cousin would send me another case of that. <laughs> uh, illegally. Uh, ah. 